0: All right, now before we get started, I just want to put it out there that throughout this episode, I'm going to be playing clips from Robin Williams' films and some of his stand-up specials. Now, some of these clips are going to contain some pretty harsh language. Even though I do mark the show as having explicit language, I do want to warn people that some of these clips are not going to be appropriate for younger listeners. So let's go ahead and get the show started. It has been a week since the news broke of Robin Williams' passing, and although many are talking about the manner in which he died, on this episode, we will be focusing on his body of work in films, TV, and on stage. In addition to that, I've reached out to a few people whose opinions really matter to me, and I've asked them to write their thoughts on the impact that Robin Williams had on them. And throughout this episode, I will share those thoughts with you. I'd also like to hear your thoughts and opinions. Please feel free to email me at hitmpodcast@gmail.com or reach out to me on Twitter at HowIsThisMovie. Now, I'm not going to be able to cover everything that Robin Williams did in this episode. That would be a five-hour show. So some things are going to get left out. And it's not because they're not good. It's just that, for the sake of time, I'm not going to be able to do them all. So I apologize if something that, you know, you love by Robin Williams is left out. It's not done intentionally. I'm really just going to focus on the films that were the most impactful on his career and, you know, some personal favorites of mine. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I present the How Is This Movie Tribute. To Robin Williams.
1: Good morning, Vietnam. Hey, this is not a test. This is rock and roll. Time to rock it from the Delta to the DMZ. Is that me or does that sound like an Elvis Presley movie? Viva Da nang. Oh, Viva Da Nang. Da nang me, Da nang me. Why don't they get a rope and hang me? Hey, is it a little too early for being that loud? Hey, too late. It's 0600. What's the O stand for? Oh, my God, it's early. Speaking of early, how about that Cro-Magnon, Marty Drywitz? Thank you, Marty, for silky smooth sound. Make me sound like Peggy Lee.
0: Robin Williams was born in Chicago, Illinois in 1951. His father was a senior executive for the Ford Motor Company, and his mother was a former model. Now, growing up, Robin Williams was a very shy kid who was a little overweight and was picked on by the local school bullies. He came up with the idea of telling jokes to keep the bullies laughing and thus not punching him as much. But by the time he got to high school, the shyness had worn off and he had become class president. And by the time he graduated high school, he was named funniest person in his school and the most likely not to succeed. For college, Williams attended Claremont Makia College in Claremont, California. He was majoring in political science, but that didn't last too long. He left Claremont and enrolled in a smaller community college to study acting and theater. And after three years, he excelled so much that he was offered his first scholarship to the Juilliard School in New York City. Robin was such a standout at Juilliard that he left school his junior year on the advice of one of the Juilliard professors who told him there was nothing more the school could teach him. Robin Williams' first attempt at show business was doing stand-up comedy, and he was beginning to make a name for himself in the San Francisco area, where his brand of humor sat well with the very liberal-minded locals. Even in the early 70s, Robin Williams' energy was contagious, and some stand-up comics dreaded going on after his sets, feeling that he had captured every ounce of laughter and energy from the audience. Robin continued to build a following, and in 1977, TV producer George Schlatter was in the audience for one of Williams' stand-up and knew he was watching not just the next generation of comics, but a comedic force unlike anyone had ever seen. Schlatter asked Williams to be a part of the TV revival Laugh-In, which would be Robin Williams' first televised appearance. Now, Laugh-In was short-lived, but this would lead to many more stand-up appearances, and in 1979, he did a show at the Copacabana. It was recorded and turned into an album entitled Reality, What a Concept, and for this, he earned his first of five Grammy Awards.
1: Time now, boys and girls, to go to Mr. Rogers' neighborhood.
2: It's a beautiful day in my
3: neighborhood.
2: Oh damn, someone stole my Snickers. Let's do some wonderful things today, boys and girls, but first, do you mind if I take some more medication? It makes the day go a little bit slower. There we go. Now we're gonna do some interesting experiments If you can do around the house. Let's put Mr. Hamster in the microwave, okay? He knows where he's going. Beep. Pop goes Louise. That's severe radiation. Can you say severe radiation? Look, you've got a little balloon now. I know many of you say, why did you do that? Because it's real sick. But I have to do that because you realize, boys and girls, that the universe is entropy. And can you say entropy? Nice try. We've got to change it now. Rogers, get off the air. They've got to know, Tommy. I've got to do something meaningful while I've been trapped in this job for over 13 years. (laughs) Oh, look, Mr. Postman's here. Let's see what he brought for me today. It's my package from Frederick's. (laughs) Yesterday, he brought my package from Columbia. (laughs) Sometimes that's the only way I can tolerate, you little shits.
0: Besides Laugh-In, Williams also appeared on The Richard Pryor Show, a variety show that was canceled after only four episodes. But his appearances on Laugh-In and The Richard Pryor Show caught the eye of famed TV producer Gary Marshall, who asked Robin Williams to audition for a small part in Marshall's hugely successful show, Happy Days. That role was for the lovable alien known as Mork.
1: Hello. <laughs> Come for very important information. When I was here before, I observed an earth ritual that I could not comprehend. It drove me Zazbot.
2: Well, don't get unravel. Oh hey, let's not get unraveled.
1: Here, you know? Right. Well, just talk about it. What is this particular ritual that made you this bit
2: Men dating women.
0: <laughs> well, I think you came to the right place.
2: <laughs> well, what was it you want to know? <laughs> Oh, thanks.
1: <laughs> Why a man dates a woman?
2: <laughs> uh, don't uh, men date women on your
1: uh, planet, eh? Hard to tell. Parts are interchangeable.
0: <laughs> now, this appearance was so popular that it would lead to the television show Mork and Mindy, which sent Robin Williams' acting career through the stratosphere. And would land Williams his first starring role in Robert Altman's 1980 film *Popeye*. Look at those He's got my eye. He
2: does not have your eyes. He's got my eyes. He's got your mouth.
0: Does he do?
1: One day, sweet peas, he's gonna go to school and bust bigger kids in the mush.
3: Yeah, you like that, don't you? Yeah.
2: And we'll move into a vine-covered cottage on a shady lane, and we'll garden together, and we'll play house. I've been sailing by the seven seas Looking for some buddies who would sail with me Sail with me
0: Sail with me Now, although Popeye made more than double its budget, it didn't turn into the big blockbuster the studio had hoped for. But I think most people don't see Williams as the reason why that film wasn't a hit. Williams' next two films would give moviegoers a glance into his dramatic acting abilities. In The World According to Garp, Williams plays T.S. Garp, an author trying to come out from beneath the huge shadow of his mother, a much more famous author.
4: It's a lovely
2: place. Lovely. Just the ticket for young marrieds and my firm will even finance the mortgage.
1: My mother's paying for it. She's
3: become a firm these days. Oh. Well, what do you think, Helen? Is it a home?
2: Uh, it's close to the college where I'll be teaching.
1: Yeah, close to supermarket where I'll be shopping.
2: <laughs> Just like our house, I work and my husband putters around the house. <laughs> my husband doesn't putter, he's a rider. This novel was just published, Procrastination by T.S. Garp. T.S. Garp? Not the bastard son of Jenny Fields. Oh, I loved your mother's book. Loved it. Oh, I keep buying them and my husband keeps burning them. Oh, and you write, too. Isn't that nice?
0: In Moscow on the Hudson, Williams plays Vladimir, a Russian performer who defects from the Soviet Union while on tour in New York City. Williams was so committed to the role that he spent a year learning the Russian language, and by the time filming started, he could speak at an advanced level, being able to carry on full conversations in Russian.
1: Can I help you,
3: gentlemen? Two coffees, please. An apple turnover. Make it two. What freedom? You can't walk down the street. Is that freedom?
0: Do you really think you were better off before in Russia... It's
3: freedom for a woman to spread her legs like that on magazine.
1: Hey, pal, you free?
0: Hey,
1: excuses.
3: Hey, no freedom here. If there is, she's an orphan. To tell you the truth, Orlando, New York frightens me. It's brutal. It's crazy.
1: What are you staring at? Take it easy, Don't America. you tell me to take it easy. No one tells me to take it easy anymore. What are you staring at? Yes, Matri Namudakas,
0: Moscow. What
1: did he say? He said he's looking at a giant asshole from Moscow. Tiruski. It's Leningrada, Tim Mudila. What is he saying now? He said he's from Leningrad, a giant asshole. Yes, this same lead. I mean the ocean rabbit, He says he's been here for seven years and he loves it very much. What's franchise what Moscow, what the hell is going He's on? telling me, go back to Moscow, turd. In
0: 1986, Williams recorded another live album entitled A Night at the Met. It had been several years since Williams put a major focus on stand-up, and this album also won him a Grammy. But more particularly, it also gave audiences a look into some of the vices that were starting to haunt Williams.
1: A little sip of Perrier here. I had to stop drinking alcohol because I used to wake up nude the hood of my car with my keys in my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Not a good thing. Hi, right, can I help you? No, thanks, it's just flooded. I'll be okay. (laughs) Beautiful, baby, beautiful, yeah. Because you're sucked into drinking beer by believing it's a healthy thing. All these beer commercials usually show big men, manly men doing manly things. You've just killed a small animal. It's time for a light beer. (laughs) Why not have a realistic beer commercial? What's the realistic thing about beer where you go, it's five o'clock in the morning. You've just pissed on a dumpster. It's Miller time. (laughs) Scary thing, because you realize the first purpose of alcohol is to make english your second goddamn language <laughs> eventually you may be quite fluent you may be a nobel prize physicist after my maybe nine ten heinekens you're going <laughs> 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 you're speaking fluent drunkenese bravo next thing you know you get a couple more beers you've got a friend in a headlock going i love you little fucker i love you <laughs> That's the kind of love I have for you, baby, God damn it! Ah, and you work your way beyond beer. You go beyond beer, you start into wine. For the very elegant people, people, a lot of people who are very elegant are in Montauk going, down. But I wish I could have been there, but no, I'm not. <laughs> Some people who have, you know, I don't know whether they have the red wine with the fish or the chicken. What's the matter, asshole? They're dead. <laughs> the chicken's not going to reach up from the plate and go, the red wine. <clears throat> it's over with. No, you know what I'm saying? And I'm not talking about puyfusé or pussy foussi, uh-uh. I'm talking about mad dog 2020. Mm. You know, the very elegant wine, the type of wine with a lovely screw top, a bottle of which after you can actually see vapor trails as people pass you. How you doing? <laughs> Oh, wow. You've gone too far And you must pay your dues This is why I had to give up alcohol Because you have to pay the next day Pray, dear Lord, please don't hurt me now <laughs> Here you are lying in bed And you feel like the scene from the movie The Fly Going,
2: help me <laughs> Help me
1: The entire room Is spinning like a roulette wheel Place your bets, place your bets <laughs> And there's the old toilet in the corner Going, talk to me me <laughs> And you try and walk slowly, but you feel like the elephant man in a car wash. There's things in front of you like the stuff that scares the water off cars. You can't do it. Even your dog's looking at you like, you wouldn't believe the shit you said to me last night. I had to back out of the room. I was that scared. You promised me an evening with Lassie, you lying bastard.
0: In 1987, Williams came full circle in Barry Levinson's Good Morning Vietnam. Now, I say full circle because this was the first time that Williams was able to use his amazing comedic improvisation skills. In fact, every scene in the film where Robin Williams is doing a radio broadcast as Adrian Cronauer was 100% ad-libbed.
1: Hello, campers. Remember, Monday is malaria day. That's right. Time to take that big orange pill and get ready for the Ho Chi Minh Tuesday. Pope Paul VI celebrated mass in Italian. Whoa! Call me crazy. He's in Rome. You know, one day I want to meet him and kiss his ring and have a go. (laughs) The Mississippi River broke through a protective dike today. (laughs) What is a protective dike? Is that a large woman standing by the river going, don't go near there. The bed. Hey, don't go near there. Get away from the river. Stay away from there. I know we can't use the word dyke. You can't even say lesbian. It's women in comfortable shoes. Weather out there today is hot and shitty. With continued hot and shitty in the afternoon. Tomorrow chance of continued crappy with a pissy weather front coming down from the north. Here's the news flash today president lyndon johnson passed a highway beautification bill the bill basically said that his daughters could not drive in a convertible on public highways <laughs> a special thing to do Hi, hey, what's your name jimmy wilkes jimmy wilkes where are you from jimmy i'm Austin, new york oh Two boys turned together. Hey, you said, Well, I got drunk, man. All of a sudden, I went for a tattoo. Next thing you know, I'm on a fucking truck. What happened? <laughs> wow, baby, I don't know what's going down. But you're both from New York. Nice to have you here. Like you just like hanging out. You're headed north. Where are you going to? Not drink. Yeah, you gotta be careful, Jack. That's some heavy stuff up there. That's like Newark after dark. You gotta watch out. That. That's some heavy shit going down,
3: baby.
1: you feel like George Wallace campaigning in Harlem. Hi, have you seen my face get swept? I don't know. You Gotta watch it. What type of music? You guys be careful. What's your name?
2: My name is Louis Striker.
1: Louis Stryker, Brother Striker. Thank you, Brother Striker. John Donham. John Donham. Jay Snyder. Feels like a Musketeer show. Annette, <laughs> Cubby, Roy. Well, you guys, you take care of yourselves. I won't forget you.
0: And now I'd like to read you what Christopher Maynard, another member of the review team for How Is This Movie, sent me when I asked him to share his thoughts on Robin Williams. Christopher writes, I was born in 1976, so I can't remember a time without Robin Williams. Like most people, I never met Robin, but I had a deeply personal connection to his body of work. I can assume that a great number of us have watched archival interviews and gone back through his IMDB page. It's hard to wrap my mind around this one. There is no emotional roadmap for how to put the death of this lone man in perspective. We don't know how to process his death because we've never known anyone like him. Watching movie clips on YouTube and listening to his interview with Mark Maron was something akin to the wake of my own private memorial service. It was like opening a shoebox under the bed filled with old family photos. The first film that comes to mind when I think back on Robin Williams' career is Good Morning Vietnam. He will always be Adrian Cronauer to me. I had a VHS copy of that movie and probably watched it a hundred times. I was 13 years old and my family had relocated to Stone Mountain, Georgia. I hated that town. I hated my parents for making me move. I hated my brothers and sisters for adjusting so easily. I was in desperate need of a friend and found a great deal of solace in Barry Levinson's film. I put it on almost every single day and watched it from beginning to end. Good Morning Vietnam is a warm blanket for me, an old friend that I can curl up with when I'm feeling sick or lonely. I never knew Robin Williams, but I knew his work. I loved watching his films. Even the not-so-great ones had moments that made them worth watching. I invited him into my home hundreds of times, and every time he stopped by with a unique and beautiful experience. To say he's one of the greats is an understatement and does little to describe how monumentally important he was to all of us. Sure, he was a pillar, a titan, a comedy god, an Academy Award winner, but he was, above all else, a human. Robin Williams was a deeply sensitive man who carried a great deal of pain in his heart, and I hope that he has found some peace. Thank you, Robin. We all miss you. And that was from Christopher Maynard. Williams had what most would say his first breakout dramatic role in 1989's Dead Poets Society, and the most iconic line from the film, Carpe Diem, Seize the Day Boys, was voted number 95 of the top film quotes of all time by the American Film Institute.
1: I'd like you to step forward over here and peruse some of the faces from the past. You've walked past them many times. I don't think you've really looked at them. They're not that different from you, are they? Same haircuts, full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you feel. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things, just like many of you. Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of what they were capable? Because you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. Daffodils. If you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in.
3: Listen. You hear it?
0: Now to talk about Robin Williams in The Fisher King, I'm going to turn to what one of our review team members, Cliff Davis, sent me when I reached out for his thoughts on Robin Williams. And Cliff says, I grew up with Robin Williams from the time he tried to steal the fawns from Earth on Happy Days, giving us the first view of Mork from Ork to stand up VHS tapes to comic relief, to his mad collection of characters on the big screen, he was my favorite televangelist and truly a master of moving in slow-mo. What a comedian. For me, Robin Williams will always be Perry in The Fisher King. He plays both sides of the famous tragedy and comedy theater mask so well in this movie, his mania of hiding such overwhelming grief. He is Melpomene and Thyla masking his tragedy through comedic acts. We care for Perry. We cheer him on in his quest for the Grail. Laugh at his antics. But all the time we understand his pain. How he hides it in madness. Because sometimes the painful truth can be too much for one to handle. Leave it to fate. Kinsmith happenstance, or even luck to pair Robin Williams with Terry Gilliam, because they were made for each other. Like Scorsese and De Niro, slash Caprio, or the Coens and Goodman, Gilliam and Williams are a match made in heaven. Gilliam can take madness and mania and temper it, weave it into the story. As a director, he's not afraid to let Robin Williams loose, because as a director, he knows how to use Williams' talents. He doesn't fear the energy, he harnesses it. He lets the comedic Robin Williams be our guide to accept the fantasy, but it's not just for laughs. In their hands, we one of the most romantic dance numbers in Grand Central Station. In their hands, we see Perry beaten by thugs. That is emotionally devastating because we care for him. With a wonderful cast, gritty New York setting, and usual Gilliam fantastical touches, The Fisher King is a great movie, a fantasy with a dark undercurrent. What makes this movie go from a good film to a great one is the fact that Gilliam had Robin Williams, and Williams was under the direction of Terry Gilliam. It was a legendary performance by a legendary actor. That was by cliff davis in 1992 williams lent his voice to the role of the genie in disney's aladdin and because williams ad-libbed so much of the lines from the film it was turned down for an academy award for best adapted screenplay nomination
1: uh almost there are a few uh, provisos a, a couple of quid pro quos <laughs> like uh rule number one i can't kill anybody <laughs> yeah so don't ask Rule number two. I can't make anybody fall in love with anybody else. Mwah! you little punum there. Rule number three. I can't bring people back from the dead. It's not a pretty picture. I don't like doing it. Other than that, you got it.. Oh. Hmm. Provisos? You mean limitations?
2: <laughs> on wishes? <laughs> Some all-powerful Whoa. genie? Can't even bring people back from the dead. I don't know, Abu. You probably can't even get us out of this cave.
1: Looks like we're gonna have to find a way out of here. Excuse me? (laughs) Are you looking at me? Did you rub my lamp? Did you wake me up? Did you bring me here? And all of a sudden, you're walking out on me? I don't think so. Not right now. You're getting your wishes, so sit down!
3: In case of emergency,
0: the exits are here, 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 here,
1: anywhere. Keep your hands and arms inside the carpet. We.
0: Williams followed the huge success of Aladdin with one of the highest grossing films of his career, Mrs. Doubtfire. Once again, Williams brought so much improvising to the filming that director Christopher Columbus says that there are PG-13, R, and NC-17 cuts of the film, although the film was always intended to be a PG-13 rated film.
2: Hello? Are you calling in response to the ad? tell me who was your previous employer i was in a band severe tire damage in a band i I just want to know one thing are your kids well behaved or do they need like a few light slams every now and then um i'll have to get back to you wow yeah my name is ilsa immelman and i want to know how many children do you have i have two girls and a boy Oh, a boy, I don't work with the males, because I used to be one. Yikes.
4: Hello? Ah!
1: Layla, get back in your cell. Don't make me get the hose.
4: Hello?
2: I am Chubb. Do you speak English? I am Job. I'm sorry. The position has been filled. Oh, what a nightmare.
1: Let's go in for the kill.
2: Hello? Hello. I'm calling in regards to the ad I
0: read in the paper... 1996 saw Robbins take a role that, at the time, was somewhat controversial. In The Birdcage, he plays a gay nightclub owner who, along with his partner, must pretend to be straight for an evening in order to please the ultra-conservative parents of his son's fiance. The Birdcage is easily one of the funniest films in Robin Williams' career.
2: Maybe it is too much to introduce me as his mother on the first visit. Could you tell them I was a relative who dropped in? Val's uncle, Uncle Al. Well,
1: what's the point? to be Val's gay, Uncle Al.
0: Oh, I could play it straight.
1: Oh, please, look at you. Look at the way you're holding your glass. Look at your pinky. Look at your posture.
0: What? What about you?
1: You're obviously not a cultural whatever it is. You've never been to a museum, and you eat like a pig. Albert, these people are right-wing conservatives. They don't care if you're a pig. They just care if you're a fag. Oh, fuck them. Of course you can pass as an uncle. You're a great performer. I'm a great director. Together, we can do almost anything.
2: Oh, Amon, really?
1: Absolutely. Oh. We've got five hours. All right, first, get your pinky down. It's up oh. again. Yes. All right, and your pot. Oh, my God, are you crazy? <laughs> what are you doing? Stop screaming. I'm teaching you to act like a man. All right. All right. Now, this is a dinner party. Let's work with food. All right. Spread some mustard on the toast. Don't use the spoon and don't dribble little dots of mustard. No? No. You take your knife and you smear. Men, smear. Smear. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Get the goddamn stinky down. All right, make your fingers like iron, all right? Yeah, and stop trembling. Hold the knife boldly yes. and straight. <laughs> oh, God, I like, pierced the toast. So what? The important thing to remember is not to go to pieces when that happens.
0: No. Now, although Robin Williams had been nominated for an Academy Award, it wasn't until 1997 that he was finally recognized for his work. He turned in the performance of a lifetime as a grief-stricken psychologist in Good Will Hunting, and for that role, he earned an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Although this film is a drama, there were still flashes of his pitch-perfect comedic timing. You
3: work out, huh?
4: What, you lift? Yeah. and Nautilus? No, free weights. Oh, really? Yeah, free weights, huh? Yeah, big time. Yeah, uh, just like that. What do you bench? 285. What do you bench? You paint that? Yeah. You paint? uh Do you sculpt?
3: No. You like art? You like music?
4: It's a real piece of shit. Oh. Well, tell me what you really think. Uh, just the, the linear and impressionistic mix makes a very muddled composition. It's also a Winslow Homer ripoff, except you got Whitey uh, rowing the boat there. It's
3: well, hot one, eh? It wasn't very good.
4: That's not really what concerns me, though. What concerns you? Just the coloring. You know what the real bitch of it is? It's paint by number. <laughs> is it color by number? Because the colors are fascinating to me. are they really? What you about that? I think you're about one step away from cutting your fucking ear off. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, think I should move to the south of France, change my name to Vincent. You ever heard the saying, any port in a storm? Yeah. Yeah, maybe that means you. In what way? Maybe you're in the middle of a storm, a big fucking storm. Yeah. The maybe. sky's falling on your head, the waves are crashing over your little boat, the oars are about to snap. You're just pissing your pants, you're crying for the harbor, so maybe you do what you gotta do to get out. You know, maybe you became a psychologist. Bingo. That's it. Let me do my job now, you start with me. Come on. Maybe you married the wrong woman. Maybe you should watch your mouth Watch you right there, chief, all right? Uh, well, that's it, isn't it? You married the wrong woman. What happened? once't she leave you? Was she, you know, <whistles> banging some other guy? If you ever disrespect my wife again, I will end you.
1: I we'll fucking end you. Got the chief.
4: Time's up. Yeah.
0: Two thousand two saw Robin Williams do two more dramatic roles or role reversals. For the first time, he played the villain in Christopher Nolan's Insomnia, opposite Al Pacino, and also a villain in One Hour Photo. Now, one-hour photo demonstrated a complexity never seen before in a character played by Robin Williams. 2002 also saw a much-anticipated return to stand-up with the release of Robin Williams Live on Broadway, which aired on HBO and became a best-selling DVD.
1: Uh, and there's always some horrible drug scandal as in the Olympics. This year was a Spanish cross-country skiler, skiler, which is like a skier. <laughs> Are you a skier? Yes. Yes. <laughs> He was going down there and he basically, they accused him of taking uh, well, some performance enhancing drug, like an elephant growth hormone or something. Are you on some sort of drug? Are you taking an animal tranquilizer? Oh no. And they didn't bother drug testing the snowboarders They just went, oh, get the fuck out, go on. Go, go my little boys, have fun. I guess they realized the word half-pipe meant something.
3: (laughs) Aye, because, it's a very strange thing. Remember the kid who won the gold medal? He was in freestyle and they said, do you want to be in a box of Wheaties? He went, no, Count Chocula.
1: (laughs) Aha, a clue, Sherlock. (laughs) Unlike the poor Canadian snowboarder in 1998 Olympics, they took away his medal because he tested positive for marijuana, which is kind of redundant, number one. Number two. They said that marijuana was a performance-enhancing drug. (laughs) Marijuana enhances many things. Colors, tastes, sensations, but you are certainly not fucking empowered. (laughs) When you're stoned, you're lucky if you can find your own goddamn feet. (laughs) The only way it's a performance-enhancing drug is if there's a big fucking Hershey bar at the end of the run. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And then you'll be like... You'll be like a Swiss ski jumper going, I'm there! (laughs) Poor Canadian snowboarder, they asked for his medal back and he couldn't find it. It was around his fucking neck. (laughs) Get out of here, you little goofy Canadian bastard, eh?
0: The 2000s saw Robin Williams in in a number of different acting roles, from TV spots on Law & Order to comedies like Old Dogs with John Travolta. Some of the films were not well-received, but Williams always brought his trademark energy to every role. But it would be 2009's World's Greatest Dad that Williams would once again take on a role that was out of his comfort zone, and many consider this his best work since 1997's Good Will Hunting.
3: My name is Lance Clayton. My biggest fear in life is that I'm going to end up all alone. I'm a writer. I'm a writer, but so far nothing I've written has ever been published. Ernest Hemingway once said all he wanted to do was write one true sentence. He also tried to scratch an itch in the back of his head with a shotgun. <clears throat> I've always dreamed of being a famous author, of creating an important work. Ooh-la-la-la. something that connected with people and helped them as they suffered through the human condition. Also something that made a shitload of cash. I've written novels, books, magazine articles, and even children's stories. All have been rejected. I did sell a few greeting cards once, though, It felt pretty good. I don't find the creative process in itself rewarding enough. I have to be honest. I want to reach an audience. This is my fifth novel. I promise myself that if this one is rejected, I'll give up writing.
0: Jim Hemphill, director of the critically acclaimed film, The Trouble with the Truth, sent me this. Jim writes, Robin Williams was the greatest screen actor of his generation, not the greatest comic actor the greatest actor period if this seems like hyperbole try to name some other actors who could have done what he did as the heartbreakingly lonely yet terrifyingly dangerous snapshot deliverer in one hour photo it's one of the most complex moving truthful performances in all of cinema chilling and warm in equal measures unpredictably yet utterly painfully realistic so think for a minute, who else could have played it as well? Maybe you can come up with a few names. Now tell me, who among those names could have also done what Robin Williams did as the strong, flamboyant, yet poignantly vulnerable gay father in The Birdcage, or completely transform himself into a cartoon character as Robin Williams did in Popeye? No one in the history of movies has ever had his range. Jimmy Stewart could have done what Williams did in The World According to Garp, but not what he did in Mrs. Doubtfire. De Niro could have come close to what Williams achieved in Moscow and the Hudson, but in his wildest dreams couldn't have pulled off the genie in aladdin when williams played scary as in insomnia he was the scariest villain imaginable when he played tender as in goodwill hunting he came across as the sweetest man alive and he had no snobbery about the types of films or budgets or salary or any of the other bullshit so many people worry about he just loved acting whether or not it's in big budget commercial films or low budget auteur movies like the world's greatest dad the wickedly funny and surprisingly touching comedy in which Williams gave his best performance. He was the Scorsese of actors, a man whose talent was as broad as it was deep, whose originality was unrivaled. It is impossible to imagine the American cinema of the last 35 years without him, and it saddens me beyond expression that he won't be here for the next 35. That was from Jim Hempel. Now yesterday I tweeted out, Tell me your favorite Robin Williams films. And I want to share just a couple of the tweets that I received. Andrew Jones tweeted to the show that his favorite Robin Williams film was The Birdcage. He loved the combo between Nathan Lane and Gene Hackman. Scott Martinson said that his favorite Robin Williams film was Death to Smoochie. John Rivett told us that his favorite film was The World According to Garp. Both Carlos Garcia Padres And Kitty Williams both agreed that Dead Poet Society was their favorite films. Thank you for sharing those thoughts with us. Now, Williams still has several films yet to be released. And I now wonder often how these films will be received. The day after he passed away, I read a post on Facebook where someone said, Why is everyone so upset? It's not like you knew him. I didn't respond to the post at the time, but I will now. You see, to say we didn't know him in person, well, for a lot of us, that's true. But Robin Williams is someone who made our days better. Someone who cared more about others than himself. Someone who dressed in a doctor's outfit, complete with a surgical mask, in Christopher Reeve's hospital room a week after his tragic accident, and pretended to be a crazy Russian doctor, For more than 10 minutes before revealing his identity to Reeves. Christopher Reeves said that was the first time he had laughed since the accident and it was the moment that he realized his life was not over. Robin Williams would go on to dedicate his Cecil B. DeMille Lifetime Achievement Award to Christopher Reeves after passing away the same year. Williams was someone who tirelessly worked for charities he believed in, including Comic Relief, that raised more than $80 million to help the homeless in America over the past 27 years. Robin Williams joined the USO tour and performed for US troops in Iraq and Afghanistan, and against the advice of his ground security team, would spend hours meeting with the soldiers, posing for pictures, and thanking each person individually. Robin Williams worked with the St. Jude Children's Hospital to help raise money for the nonprofit organization. He never charged a fee for his services, including numerous commercials and appearances. He would also spend a lot of time at the hospital meeting with patients when the cameras were not around, not looking for any publicity from these visits. Robin Williams truly cared about his fellow man, and I'm sure there are thousands and thousands of acts of kindness that we will never hear about. For these reasons alone, we should all be sad by his passing. But let's not forget the impact he had on us, the smiles on our faces, the the stomach cramps, and tears of laughter that he would cause. I didn't know Robin Williams, but for a couple hours at a time, he made my life happier and a little better. And for that, I say thank you, sir, and you will be sorely missed. My name is Dana Buckler, and thank you so much for listening.
3: I thought about what you said to me the other day, about my painting. I stayed up half the night thinking about it. Something occurred to me. I fell into a deep, peaceful sleep and I haven't thought about you since. Do you know what occurred to me? No. You're just a kid. You don't have the faintest idea of what you're talking about. Why, thank you. It's all right. You've never been out of Boston. Nope. So if I asked you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo. know a lot about him. Life's work... Political aspirations, him and the Pope, sexual orientation, the whole works, right? I bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You've never actually stood there and looked up at that beautiful ceiling. Seen that. If I ask you about women, you probably give me a silver, say your personal favorites. You may have even been laid a few times. But you can't tell me what it feels like to wake up next to a woman... ...and feel truly happy. You're a tough kid. I ask you about war, you'd probably uh, throw Shakespeare at me, right? Once more into the breach, dear friends. You've never been near one. You've never held your best friend's head in your lap and watched him gasp his last breath, looking to you for help. I ask you about love. probably quote me a sonnet. But you've never looked at a woman and been totally vulnerable, known someone that could level you with her eyes, feeling like God put an angel on earth just for you, rescue you from the depths of hell and you wouldn't know what it's like to be her angel to have that love for her be there forever through anything through cancer and you wouldn't know about sleeping sitting up in a hospital room for two months holding her hand because the doctors could see in your eyes that the terms visiting hours don't apply to you you don't know about real loss ...because that only occurs when you love something more than you love yourself. I doubt you've ever dared to love anybody that much. I look at you, I don't see an intelligent, confident man. I see a cocky, scared, shitless kid. But you're a genius, Will. No one denies that. No one could possibly understand the depths of you. But you presume to know everything about me because you saw a painting of mine. You ripped my fucking life apart. You're an orphan, right? Do you think I'd know the first thing about how hard your life has been? How you feel? Who you are? Because I read Oliver twist. Does that encapsulate you? Personally, I don't give a shit about all that, because you know what? I can't learn anything from you, I can't read in some fucking book. Unless you want to talk about you, who you are. And I'm fascinated. I'm in. But you don't want to do that though your sports. I'm terrified of what you might say. You move, Chief.